Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. And we're on the road today. I am in a beautiful home on Elizabeth Avenue in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, with an excellent poet. And what I love about her poetry is the depth and the honesty in it. So we are very pleased to have on our show today Sandra Ann Winters. So, Sandra, welcome to Poets and Writers. Thank you. As we like to ask on this show, where are you from, Sandra? I'm from Durham. I grew up in Durham with my parents. Uh, my parents, my grandparents were not, they died early, and my parents were not able to go to high school. They had to go to work. So, so you were the first in your family? I was to... the first in my family to graduate from, from high school. High school. And so your parents had that work ethic and that strong belief that you needed an education. They did. They did. And where did you go to school? Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill. And then you went on and became a teacher, correct? Yes. I taught for a while in high school, and then I taught at Guilford College in Greensboro. And what did you teach? I taught Irish studies. I was in enamored with James Joyce, and uh, I taught English writing. For a number of years, right? right. And, and so you have poetry. You have two books uh, out at uh, The Place Where I Left You and Do Not Touch. And who are they published by? Talk a little bit about the publisher. They're published by Salmon Poetry in Ireland, and they picked up my book when I won an international contest. Uh, in Ireland. How'd you win that contest? <laughs> it's <laughs> very it. funny. Uh, I received a letter in the mail one day and it said, you have won a thousand euros and a trip to Ireland for the poem Death of Alaska. And I said, well, what is this about, Steve? It, it must be a joke. I mean, I didn't send them a poem. And Steve said, well, I did. I sent them the poem. So, well, what a great husband! So, so uh, Steve yeah. is well, and you did, had no idea that you'd entered this contest in Ireland, right? No, I had no idea. Well, and had you been going to Ireland at that time, or uh, we had been several times, right. but we started going more often. And I went for the contest to read, and Salmon Poetry in Ireland heard me read and asked to have my book. Well, and, and you, what was the poem that Steve sent in for you? Death of Alaska. Okay, and we're going to, we have Sandra Ann Winters on the program today, and let's go ahead and read that. If you'll go ahead and read uh, that poem, uh, Sandra Ann Winters, that's a, it's a beautiful poem, and that's the one that really got you down around County Court, too. So Right, down around County Court, that's what I read. Uh, Alaska is a dog, and she was white, so my son named her Alaska, and I and my son was going off to college. So two of my loves left. Alaska ended up dead in the garden. She looked like a white cloth. Death of Alaska. My white German shepherd, female ears tuned to sounds I could not hear, disappeared the day my son left. She must have heard him going. He who cut me off like the sharp snip of scissors 
against the papery peony stems. She, my white cavalier, could not keep me from the way he redrafted our love, flinging himself a young man now into the universe. For him I canvassed the stars, glossed against a crate sky. For her I tramped through copeswood and brambles, flashlight a beam, calling her name. But no staccato bark, and no cantering boy returned, and I stood alone in the spring, cold midnight. What a beautiful poem, beautiful story about your son and your dog. Mm -hmm. And so you're telling us they both lived at the same time, or thereabouts. They did, yeah. Yes. Well, that's a very beautiful poem, and that's the one that you won, and your husband, Steve, was so gracious and enthusiastic about it. I love right. that story, Sandra. All right, let's go. Let's get another poem from you today. Okay. A living will is a document a person signs to not be kept on life support at the end of, end of their lives. Uh, so this is, a t this is titled A Living Will, and you will find that my father did not sign one, and my mother wanted him to have one. A living will. I remember whiteness, twice bleached tubes, long coils of translucent snakes, distorting lips, hissing air to lungs. I remember monitors, dissonant bells, tolling heartbeats, lights, vulgar, graying complexions, chalky white. My mother says, how could you want this, letting machines keep him alive? He wanted a living will, got too busy. But the respirator may give him time for his heart to heal, time for him to come back to us, I say to no one. I remember a day in May my white-haired father found the fawn on the path to the lake. He carried it in his arms back to the house laid it with a whisper on an old blue quilt. He spread the jaw with quiet hands, put human lips to the tiny cavity of pinkness, sighed measured breaths, aged hands pressed scarcely a touch, not to break, crack young ribs. He breathed again and again, the fawn already dead. What do you remember, mother? of what he wanted. So beautiful, such beautiful thoughts. Uh, taking away a tribute to your father, and of course your, your mother was trying the best she could at that mm -hmm. time, and mm -hmm. this is the daughter's perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Sandra, we're on a roll today, and folks out there, I love both of her books. Please go with some more poetry. All right, this is another poem, uh, a poem about my son. I taught at Guilford College, even though we lived on a farm, a hundred-acre farm, and we raised hay and boarded horses, but I drove back and forth to Guilford a couple times a week to teach, and my son went to Guilford, so we shared an apartment. Shampoo. I stand in the shower pressed for time. Classes call. This is your shower, 21-year-old son. Your place. Classes call you, too. 
when it is to your advantage, I am your mother. Most of the time, I am Professor Who. Mm-hmm. Press for time, covered in water, and slick soap, I search for shampoo. Not on any tub ledge, not in the mesh bag that holds his razor, not on the sink, not on the floor. I hop out, dripping, my soapy hands clutch, knobs of cheap paints to open and slam every door. Where does he keep the damned shampoo? (laughs) Nothing to do but hop once more into the tub. Drying my hair with my hands, I toss my head back and discover, wedged between a bottle, a wall, and towel bar, a bottle of Aussie citrus makes your hair so clean, one foot and two inches above my line of vision. I love it. I love it. We have children, and we have actually three, Sandra, and when I go to their homes to find the shampoo and take a shower, it can be quite a journey. So thank you, and that's a very uh, sweet poem, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. So as, as we move along, let's have another one of your poems. I know you have read at many places, Malapropes and many other places, so go with your poetry reading. Okay, would you like for me to read The Deaf Dog? Yes, yes. Okay. The Deaf Dog is my brother was killed in a car accident, and what I inherited was a dog, a hound dog, who was deaf, and they wanted to do away with him because he couldn't hear the hounds. So this is called The Deaf Dog. I press my nose in the warm, dark odor of hound. Tears roll off the white, brown, speckled fur, oily as unwashed wool. My throat tightens when dusk and rain blow in. Closing my eyes, I see my brother, slender blonde boy gone at 21. You saved the deaf dog from the hunter who wanted to drown him. He was not the first. When you were nine, you fed melons and corn to two striped raccoons. In your large teenage hands, baby finches waited for your nudge to fly. Lost squirrels sucked milk, shiny drops on your fingertips. The dog wakes and stretches beneath my feet. Beautiful in so many ways. And you know, we've had some very good conversations. And the other day I was telling you about the rescue dog that we have adopted, Walker, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. Sugar Boy. And there's something about a hound, too, and and then not to, you know, downplay your message in that about your brother. And you have several poems about your brother, don't you? I do. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how you viewed him. That obviously is a tribute. Well, I was the oldest, and my brother was the youngest. So, and I was six years older, so my parents were working. We had a babysitter, of course, but I looked after my younger brother, and I was very close to him. His death still hurts me now. He was just, he was blonde and tall, and he hunted, and he used to take me hunting with him. Mm -hmm. But he never killed anything. Mm -hmm. 
He just went hunting. Beautiful story, beautiful brother. All right, as we move along today on Poets and Writers, this is Henry McCarthy, and I'm interviewing Sandra Ann Winters. I really go by Sandra, but I noticed that in Ireland they call me Sandra Ann. Isn't that interesting? You know, we go back to County Cork, the McCarthy mm -hmm. name, mm -hmm. as I shared with you, and we named our oldest daughter Cara, or Cara, which means friend mm -hmm. in Irish. So mm -hmm. yes, they have. Yes, and I, I love visiting. And you have you had a home over there, right? You... We had a home. We we uh, had a home for twelve years, and my husband had summers off at the time. He works full time now, but he was working for a university, and they were closed summers, so we had summers off. And we were able to go over there quite often and spend time. Oh, I, I'm, I'm envious in a, in a very positive way because I, I love County Cork and, you know, the McCarthy, their name. Right. You know, it's just everywhere. And I, and I love your poetry. We're talking with uh, Sandra Ann Winters today about her poetry. And I find the depth of it and also um, I find also the articulation of the poetry. It just is so well crafted and I normally as we've talked I'm a street poet so craft is not something I guess part of it is because of my inability to craft center but it's not <laughs> something that I get carried away with but you definitely have the depth with the craft so let's continue on with several more of your poems. All right we moved back to Winston-Salem about 10 years ago and I grieved the farm. The farm I really, really grieve leaving the farm. In Floyd, Virginia. In Floyd, correct? Virginia, mm -hmm. yes, in Floyd, Virginia. And so I decided to write a poem about each room. It was a big farmhouse. And a poem about the pond uh, and parts of the farm. And that did help me get over the grieving or mm -hmm. get accepted. So this first poem is The Parlor, and we just come home and brought my father-in-law back to our house from Greenville, South Carolina. He was dying, and he lay on the uh, old cocoa couch and died there. So this is the parlor, that room. Now they call them living rooms, I think. Yes. What sound is made when the soul leaves the body? I hear nothing. See only your fingertips firmly on his wrist. The rhythmical, throbbing, arterial contractions of the heart. The science of death a doctor knows so well. A father brought home to die. He lies on a bed in the old chestnut parlor his white, long-haired cat curled on his stomach. At 84, he is straight, stoic, always a cap to cover his bald head. I sit waiting in a faded chair as you feel your father's final pulse. A soapstone stove warms the room, and you in the corner, and in the corner sits the cherry piano, a Quaker hymnal, worship and song, opened to blessed quietness. Beautiful. I forgot to say that my husband was a doctor. He was the town doc. There was about 400 people in Floyd. 
and he was the town doc there, and and the coroner, and he even did house calls. <laughs> so it was to me it was poignant that he was holding his father's wrist and would have known what moment the pulse quit. Oh, absolutely, and thank you for sharing that because I think deep down we all wonder where and how we will die, and that's mm -hmm. a beautiful, beautiful story. Go for another poem now. Okay. Another point, uh, place I wrote about in grieving for my farm is the kitchen. I had just been to Monet's Giverny outside of Paris, and I saw his kitchen, and it was, I loved it. It was tiles in cobalt blue and white, and the walls were mustard colored. I copied the color in Monet's kitchen, blue and white floor tiles, ochre-painted chairs set around, a long rectangular farmhouse table. Mustard walls reflect a glow as the sun rises through a row of windows. The kitchen is quiet at five when I come down, in high wool socks to throw pine logs into the fire. I hold a hot mug of coffee with mittens, the room cold enough to leave a skim of ice in the sink. Monet's pantry now stands empty, but mine bulges with jars of tomato, canned tomatoes, cherries, bottles of dandelion wine. I will make pots of lentil soup, the fragrance of celery, garlic, molasses settle in. Cassat, Cezanne, Rodin talked long into the night with Monet about the Impressionist who see light as bathing everything with a thousand vibrant struggling colors which at a distance establish life. But the child who joins me by the stove does not speak of paint and changing light. He begs me, don't cut my hair, please, as I pick lice attached to the base of each hair shaft, tiny yellow knits. Mm -hmm. That's your part of your life or some of your life in Floyd, Virginia. We in took your... in foster children and came home with lice. Oh, my goodness. Well, what a time you had there and then... Um, you, you, you've lived, a, that was a deep farm rural life, so to speak, right? Right, then, right. And then you wound up in Ireland and writing poems about right. some of the rural life there. Mm -hmm. So Sandra Ann, let's go with another poem. Okay, I'll read another one of these and then the final poem I wrote. Mm -hmm. This is another, the library is another room in the house that I wrote a poem about because I was sad about leaving the farm. The library. I plan for my death in this room. I will lie on the cocoa velvet sofa, glazing out of chestnut windows to see horses slobber clover in the sun. My family will bring cups of tea. I will slide away here, where birds slip down the chimney, land on the soapstone hearth. But for now, I am dusting the cherry's secretary, a tiny bracelet for a four-pound baby, china bees, four pink, five blue spell out my name. 
Brittle yellow roses dried to brown, lay flattened by time, stiffened by a florist's wire, once a splash of color on my father's grave. Here I lie for hours, legs stretched out, reading a small leather-bound copy of Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale. Bookshelves line the walls of beaded boards that shrink in winter to leave open gaps, expand in summer, boards sidling up together, birds' nests lining the open mantle turned to dust. Another beautiful poem there that Sandra is sharing with us today on poets and writers. And you have one, let's see, there are several others that we talked about doing a part of them or a portion. And one was toward the end of your book. I'm not sure it's that I'm book. I'm going to read Talking to Oprah and parts of it. Go for it. Talking to Oprah is, uh, when I die, I want my ashes spread in the garden under the okra because I love okra. I okay. love it anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> and my son, I, my ashes have already been spread under the okra in the garden, and my son comes back to talk to me. So this poem is from not my voice, but my son's voice. Okay. And I'll read some of the verses. You lived by the book. While others rose to the sunrise, you woke to a cup of coffee, and the page left off the night before. Going to bed, never alone, you shoved the books to the side like a gratified lover, the dark lines of poets inching off the pages into the, your dreams. Lacy leaves of ginkgo tree, I'll remember where I put my keys. Gather up the leaves for tea, you said. You love language, saved words like gems, rajuritas, berry lime sublime, lucre, Bending notes, sliding note into note. You never hesitated. Some would say billions, some millions, but you saw only one star. You painted my apartment tomato and orangerine, mm. listening to book cassette player wires trailing from a ragged blue shirt pocket, covering your heart. For hours you painted long strokes of red and orange love for a sun. I have come back to the place where I left you, here in the cool, dark earth, under the dry stalks, cracked pods, sprouting moist pearls. You created the word. Out of you came the tomato and orange walls, the okra, the poem and me. Oh, a combination of nature and okra. So, and the symbolism is very beautiful, Sandra. Thank you. Let's talk a little, I normally, as I told you earlier, poets and writers out there and friends, I normally don't like to read reviews. And frankly, when I first got a copy of both of these books, I had not, I did not know you, I had not read any of the reviews and went through both books and I was very, very taken with the depth of your poetry. So I thank, I thank you. you so much for being on the show today. And I noticed in looking over, and I'm going to, what I'm going to do is read a few 
of your reviews for people who want to write poetry out there. Mm -hmm. And as you know, and we've talked about, uh, I'm a street poet and my concept of poetry is talking on paper. Right. <laughs> and as some, as Lee Smith said, yes, and talk forever. But so we have a great time. And we talked about Lee Smith. Folks around the valley here know Lee Smith. Right. And she's been on the show. Any summarizing comments today about your poetry and so on? Well, I think I write, uh, I think some of my poems are surprising. Mm -hmm. Who writes about their own death? Who writes about a son coming back to talk, to pray? Uh, I think that I don't put aside, uh, I don't think that my poems are sweet. I think they are vital. Losing sons, losing brothers, not sons, but brothers, uh, it's all the raw stuff of the heart. The raw stuff of the heart. I think that is describes your poetry to a T, Sandra. And I noticed that, talk a little bit about the poem. And folks, I find, you know, there are some times in life, you know, negativity overwhelms you, but I get a strength from your poetry and a recognition and an insight. But how about, ah, go away now? How, talk a little bit about that poem. That poem, uh, I met a lady uh, who, uh, she had sons and she wanted, she wanted to be a vanguarder which is a woman policeman, policewoman in Ireland. Okay. But you had to be so tall. I think it was five foot two. Well, could you read a little bit of that poem? Oh, yeah, sure. She stretched out on the bed as tall as she could make herself, lay there for hours, wanted to be a vanguarda, but had to be five feet six, another inch needed. She flattened her spine against the cool feather bed, every vertebra spread open. Solving crime called her, not the safety of marriage and 14 pretty babies. Stretched flat, cool white sheets pulled her closer. She watched the rain, a soft sun through the window. She was poised to move from rural island to Phoenix Park. Valleys in the mattress filled the spaces in her bones. She stared at cracks along the ceiling. Faded blue paint dropped occasional flake. She did not give up on the stretch, but she stayed short and grew round. Oh, my goodness. Well, what a, what a beautiful Irish poem. She heard uh, she had 14 children. Yes. And her oldest son drowned in Northern Ireland, off the coast of Northern Ireland. So when they came to tell her about the son, and the son would have been laid out in her home, mm -hmm. she said, I'll go away now and again. Her short reply is she stretched his body out on the long table, washed the salt from his leathery skin, dressed him in a shroud, she placed the rosary in his hands, lit the candles all around him, laid the crucifix on his breast while visitors kissed his cheeks, and she watched and waited. 
Beautiful poetry on Poets and Writers today. Sandra Ann Winters, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. And we're going to go away now. And this is Henry McCarthy saying, Do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thank you for listening. <laughs>